You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. The historic routes of history uh, uh, that, you know, the routes in history that people have taken and how they really impacted uh, our lives. Sometimes they were trade routes like the Silk Road or uh, sometimes they were communication transportation routes like the the train uh, railroads that were built all over the world and how that changed communication and changed commerce and all that. Of course, there's the information uh, route with the, the Internet and how that changed the world and and all the great explorations of the South Pole, the North Pole, and all the routes that those early explorers took, and uh, even the exploration to the moon, the route to the moon, it was life-changing, you know, and kind of changed our focus. To be honest with you, I'm kind of a a, a doubter at first. I'm like, we're never going to make it to the moon. And then, you know, sure enough, someone made it, you know, made it there. Now we're going to make it to Mars. And of course I'm like, ah, we're never going to make it to Mars, but who knows? Maybe we'll make it to Pluto. Does that even exist anymore? Is Pluto a thing? I don't know. But all of those routes in history, they are pale in comparison to the route that Jesus took from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. Of course, this is Palm Sunday today. And that route was life-changing. Some of these, some of these routes in history, they changed a certain segment of history. They changed a certain uh, uh, part of the world. But Christ's route from the Mount of Olives down to Jerusalem really was a change for every living soul and every generation of every year, of every week, of every month, and all of human history. Of course, those are geographic locations, the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem, but really the route was from heaven to the cross. And that route was, we're going to look at today. I'm going to say, if you are here uh, and you're searching for God, maybe you're sitting outside, you're searching for God. Maybe you're sitting at your home or in your car and you're searching for God. I'm going to propose and make a bold statement that the next 30 minutes may be the most important 30 minutes of your life. Why? Because it's me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Totally, Totally kidding. We're going to lay out the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that I think is necessary. The good news of Christ is important to and how to understand the sequence of events. When Jesus went down that road, we saw that people were praising him. We're kind of we're going to jump around a little more than usual today because I wanted to paint a fuller picture. We begin in the 12th cha- chapter of John, John 12, 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming from Jerusalem. If you read the story in John, by the way, Lazarus had come back from the dead and man, word was spreading fast. And so they came because, of course, they were attracted to the miracle worker. Some people came because they believed that Christ was going to be the breaker of the regime of the Roman Empire. Even those who were close to to Christ felt like, hey, this is the guy that's going to bring in a new government. And so as he rode down from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees. They went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. See, people thought they, they were not seeing the bigger picture. They were looking through a smaller set of lenses. But when Christ made that now famous ride from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, from heaven to the cross, we recognize that he was laying down a path. 
a path of salvation, a path to know God, a path that we as imperfect human beings could find a perfect God. It was a path that would change the lives of every human being, including yours. It's a path that we must understand as human beings to have a relationship, not a religion, to have a relationship with God. Christ was not out for fame. Christ was not there and all the accolades of of praise that were coming to him. That was not his purpose to have some kind of religious parade. Christ was on mission and those who oppose his mission. You remember when Peter opposed his mission that, you know, he said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I must die three days later. I'll come back from the dead. And Peter said, oh, that can't happen to you because he was thinking small lenses at that point. And you remember that that upset Jesus. He had some pretty strong words to say, hey, man. I am on mission. When Christ laid that route down, he gave to us a route that we're going to speak to uh, today that is relevant to every person in, in the listening view and viewing view and sitting in the room. It's relevant. And this route I'm depicting today by some props and some tables, this route is so necessary and it is in order of sequence, justice, mercy, and grace. So let's begin with the justice of God. And I believe that it is important, especially in our culture, as you'll see today, that each of these is very important, especially in the order. There is a problem. When I train around the world this past week, I trained in the Middle East and Venezuela and Cuba, Bolivia, and I always begin with this statement. God calls leaders to move predicaments to solutions. He called Moses to move a predicament to a solution, Isaiah, Jeremiah, every, every leader that God calls, including his own son. God called his own son to move the biggest predicament of, hu- of, of the human race to a solution. The predicament is a great point of tension. And I propose to you that unless you live and sense and experience this tension, you'll miss the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's the tension. In in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4, we read this, that God is a rock. That means immovable. God is not wishy-washy. He is a rock. He is solid. He is an anchor. Well, what part of him is an anchor? What part of him is immovable, inflexible to a degree? God is a rock. His works are perfect. In other words, his perfection is immovable. His his perfection doesn't change. I just want to stop for a second. Can you imagine if God were imperfect? I mean, just think about it. Like, you know, he kind of made the world perfect, but every Wednesday, every other Wednesday, you know, the the earth kind of got off its axis. Like, ah, dang it. You know, that that wasn't supposed to happen. That God made, you know, animals and all of a sudden they're just kind of, we walk out of the parking lot and there's like lions, you know, eating cars or people and all that. And, you know, just, you can imagine what if we were perfect? What if his love were not perfect? He'd love you, but not me. He'd love me and not you. He'd love certain people. You'd have to be in a certain group to be able to be loved. Just think about that. So when we read this, we know, we come to expect that God is perfect. He's a rock that doesn't move. His ways are perfect. Watch. And all his ways are just. 
In other words, if God brings judgment, everybody says, yep, that that should have happened. It is just immovable. A faithful God who does no wrong and upright and just as he. I think that most people, regardless of your religion, regardless if you're not religious, there's something in us that knows and expects that God is perfect. We just know that. I don't, I, I'm, I've never talked to, to anyone that says, yeah, I don't know if God's really, you know, perfect. God is perfect. But matched with that, we know in, just in, in, instinctively that we're not. We know when we look in the mirror, we're looking at imperfect people. When I'm standing up here, I'm seeing a lot of imperfection. Trust me. <laughs> there is a sense that all of us know. Now, in our culture, this is where it becomes relevant. In our culture, we're masters at skimming over our imperfections, right? We have Photoshop. We have Facebook. We, you know, we're, we're promoting our best side and blah, blah, blah. Even Sunday morning, we all look nice and, you know, all cleaned up and all that. And so, we, you know, we're, we're good at that. But when we lay our head on our pillow, when we look in our mirror, when we're in our closets, we understand, hey, we're not perfect. And this represents the greatest predicament in the human race. There's tension all over the world. There always has been. Between the major powers, between Russia and China and the U.S., there's tensions and there's always talking about it. Between Democrats and Republicans, there's always tension, always will be. We always say, go. Oh, something new. It's nothing new. They've always been fussing and fighting since the beginning. There's countries, Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland, they've always been here. I mean, there's tension between, but there is no greater tension than the imperfection of men and women and the perfection of God. It is a great tension because they cannot be reconciled by human effort. You see, religion feeds off of this. Religion says you must do more, you must do more, but God says you can't. And so when we look at Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, says, There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. And this is where the tension begins. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, I, I, I read a lot of Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a, a preacher that saw in his ministry many people walk away from their current life to a life in Christ, move from darkness into light, from not knowing God to knowing God. And here's why I think why, why God used him so much. He was honest with love. In today's culture, at times, we want to skim over some things. We, won't, we, we like to avoid certain things. We want you to come back. So we'll just, we'll, we won't talk about certain things, right? So today, I'm going to be extremely mean, unjust. No, I'm just kidding. I want to be honest, but look at the honesty of Charles Spurgeon. Here's what he says. The sinner, which is, again, it's almost a word that I know some pastors won't use. It's almost become politically incorrect to say uh, that we are sinners. But if we look honestly at ourselves, we, it's just, it is just a reflective reality. It's not a judgment on it. It's just a reality. Charles Spurgeon said the sinner is right in his conviction. In other words, being bothered in his conviction that God is just. And because God is just, his sin must be punished. Ah, sinner, if God does not punish your sin, 
He has ceased to be what he has always been. Watch this. Severely just and inflexibly righteous. Now, if you're searching for God right now and you've come into the room or maybe you're online, there's, there, there might be a big uh-oh going on in your life. <laughs> Because justice, I've got this little prop today, this gavel, justice feels like that. It feels so final. It feels so brutal. It feels so uh, alarming, disturbing. And yet, when you, when you know that God is, what are these words, severely just and inflexibly righteous, He's like a rock, even in his righteousness, his perfection, his justice. It can be a scary thing. When I was studying to be a concert pianist, I began to read the Bible. I saw Billy Graham on TV, and what it did, it moved my needle just an inch. It moved it enough for me to begin to search for God. Where was I going to find God? I picked up a Bible, and I began to read. Where do you begin to read in any given book? You turn the cover and you get to the table of contents and then you begin to read from left to right, right? On the left side of the Bible, if you're not familiar with it, it's the Old Testament. A lot of law, a lot of regulation. And in those days, they punished on the spot. In other words, things that were being done, laws being broken, man, they took you out back and they stoned you. They threw rocks at you. Into, and there were a number of things as I was reading the book that I knew to be a Bible, didn't know anything about it, no one guiding me through it. I began to read, and my eyes, you know, got wider and wider, and the uh-oh volume went off the chart. I had convinced myself that it was too late, that I had done things with this inflexibly just and perfect and righteous God that were so far out of bounds that there was no shot for me. No religion would get it. I had, I had been in religion for 18 years. No religion was getting it for me. There was still a churning. And those wide eyes began to fill with tears. I wasn't a weeper. I was a musician. I played in rock bands. I mean, I was having a blast. And all of a sudden, I, I began this conviction, this unsettling, this bothers. And maybe you are at that place. Maybe you were searching for God. And when I heard the news that God took care of justice in a way that was loving, it changed my entire mindset. God has to send a punishment for our sin. Otherwise, it would not be just. It would not be perfect. Are you following? So when we look at this, and this is why everybody instinctively knows. Okay, everybody instinctively knows when you get your when you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar that there should be a, there's a consequence, right? Even from being a kid. Oops, there's mom or dad. I got my hand in the cookie jar. There's going to be you know can't have cookies for a week or you know we made our kids sleep outside for a month. That kind of stuff. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You know, there's a consequence, you know, so when you're driving and you, you know, you're speeding, you're going 40 into 25 and the officer pulls you over and he gives you, he or she gives you the ticket there, you know, you're, you may try to get out of it, but you know, you know, like, yeah, that was probably right. Right. I, my wife kids me because I've been pulled over a number of times. Let's just keep with that. Never gotten a ticket. Yeah. I've learned to cry on the spot. 
I'm not ashamed as a man. Like, <laughs> that's a true statement. I, I've never gotten to check it. <laughs> I can vomit on the spot. I can do a lot of things. <laughs> I should write a book. How to get it. <laughs> but deep down, even when I've gotten off the hook, I knew I deserved it. I knew I deserved getting pulled over. This is why, listen, Adam hid even when he just heard God. He heard God coming in the garden and goes, uh-oh, hand in the cookie jar. That's why Isaiah, when he came face to face with God, he said, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. Why? Because I know that I deserve that. I've broken God's heart. I've broken the law. It's why Peter, when he came face to face with Jesus, goes, get away from me. I'm a sinner. And so when we come to that moment, in fact, I will say to you, this is a critical statement. We must come to this place if we are kind of smoothing around our own brokenness and say, I really don't want to look at it. We'll never know the desperation between us and God. And if we make people just, we just don't want to make you uncomfortable. We'll never know the desperation between us and God. You see, so much of religion says you do more, you do more, you do more, and you'll never even know if you've done enough. This is, the, this is the poison, if I may use a strong word. This is the poison of religion. It feeds itself because you'll never know. Listen carefully. If you're searching for God, this is where Jesus turns it upside down. The good news of Christ is not what you can do for God, but what God has done for you. Amen. Amen. How in the world, let's say you're God for a minute. How in the world am I not going to be flexible on my righteousness and justice and still love the people I created? Welcome to the cross of Christ. Watch this. Isaiah 53 captures it so well. Look what God has done for us. Christ, in Isaiah 53, 4, Christ was pierced for our transgressions. He for us. He was crushed for our iniquities. See, when we come into this week we call Holy Week, and we come to Good Friday, it is a remembrance. It's a time to reflect. It's a time to think. It's a time to cry. It's a time to weep out of happiness and thankfulness to say, God, look what he has done for us. That perfect justice was, was taken care of. But what we found is it was unexpected mercy. As unexpected mercy. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have blown it. We all like sheep are broken. Yes, we all like sheep are sinners. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has graciously and mercifully laid on Christ the iniquity of of us all, it was the greatest route in human history. This is the power of Palm Sunday. I want to back up and give you the importance of the order of things. Watch this. There's a definition of mercy and a definition of grace I want to give to you. Very super simple. Here it is. Mercy, when God does not give us what we deserve. And grace, when God gives us what we don't deserve. Let me just read that again. 
<laughs> it's so simple, and yet it is so life-changing for the human race. Mercy is when God does not give us what we deserve. We deserve judgment. We deserve penalty. And what it, when we don't get what we deserve, and grace is when we do get what we, what we don't deserve, right? So when you look at this today, I have this picture just to give you a visual. This is to picture a pardon. If you ever got a pardon from the president, I've gotten several. <laughs> you would frame it, would you not? You would frame it to remember it. You would frame it to honor it. You would frame it to tell others, I deserved this, but unexpectedly, I got this. Christ's pardon is different than a presidential pardon because a president just signs something and boom, the pardon happens. In Christ's world, it would be like Christ saying, you got a seven-year sentence and I'm going to take your sentence for you and then you get out. It was an exchange of life for death. In fact, the, the pardon of Christ was signed by the blood of Christ. This is the power of it. Now watch. When you see this mercy, this is why it's unexpected. The greater the penalty, the greater the thanksgiving, the appreciation for the mercy. Let me give you an example. You get pulled over, you're doing 28 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone. First of all, come on. We're all thinking the same thing. Like, really? I mean, how about the guy behind me or in front of me? He was going 40, right? And I got pulled over, right? It's not the big deal. And the guy says, you know, the officer says, hey, I'm going to let you off. You're like, well, like you should, right? It's not that, <laughs> not that big of a deal. But let's switch the scenarios and you get caught with a smoking gun and you've committed murder. And the officer shows up and says, ah, whatever. I'm kind of busy. I don't have one of those tablets to write out a ticket, so I'm going to let you off. Okay. That's a different story. You feel it? unless we come to grips with who we are really we're going to miss the depth of this my, my uh, wife and I tend to be more conservative parents more protective than the average bear we, we know that and parents have, they're all over the scope we get that and appreciate all ends of the spectrum uh, the statistics show that when a 16-year-old drives, when they have other, another teenager in the car, the, the odds of an accident go exponentially higher. So first year we said, hey, nobody else in the car. You can drive, you know, to, to, um, you know, to work. People that we didn't like, we let them drive with them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and just last week he said, hey, Dad, I want to pick up, you know, this friend. And uh, it's just around the corner. Can I go and do it? I go, yeah, you can do it. You know, he said, ah. Uh, what? He <laughs> ah, couldn't believe Dad said yes. You see, when we recognize the separation, the depth of separation, and we don't skim over our stuff, and we say, God, I am spiritually bankrupt, that I deserve the harshness of that judgment, then this mercy will be so much sweeter. You know, does it make sense? Look what God has done. Romans 3, 25. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. That is, 
the human race now, the predicament resolved. At one minute, through faith in his blood, not just a belief in the, in the historical Jesus, hey, I believe that Jesus came as a great teacher, as a savior of the world, blah, 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 but faith, I'm transferring my trust in what Christ did, the mercy. Why did he, why did he do this? He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because up to this point in his forbearance, he had left sins uncommitted, sins committed before unpunished. But now he did this, the cross of Christ to demonstrate God's perfect justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies who has faith in Jesus. Now watch this. Let me show you this next quote from Spurgeon. I, I, th- I want to put this on a T-shirt. Watch Charles Spurgeon. Justice is no longer the sinner's enemy. Justice has become the sinner's advocate. You see, Christ on the cross is now our advocate. That that sacrifice, when Christ pleads for us, he's pleading through his sacrifice and God sees us differently. You see how beautiful that is? Titus verse, chapter 3, verse 3. When the kindness and love of our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of our religion, not because we were better than others, not because we're better than our neighbor and we're not Hitler and all the things that we kind of poof up around ourselves, not because of our righteous things, but because of his mercy. Okay? Now let me challenge you. Here's the challenge. The challenge... Well, let me say this before. I've given most of my adult life to serve the church of Christ. And I love the church. And because I love the church, I'm about to say what I'm I'm about to say. Because it's important, especially in our culture. In our culture, we're now taking sin and and we're renovating it. So we say, well, everybody does it. There's one for you. Or I was born this way. Or I was influenced. That's why I do it. You know, so lots of different ways that humans try to renovate sin rather than face sin. Rather than be broken about sin. When it comes to the church culture, if we recognize that mercy is that we didn't get what we deserved and grace is that we get what we didn't deserve. There's sometimes when a person is exploring God and searching for God that we say, we'll just skip this part and I want the gift. Show of hands. Who wants to go to hell? Not me. Who wants the gift of heaven? Yes. But we can't get grace, the gift, until we've experienced the mercy that was done on the justice was exercised on the cross. Does this make sense? Of course, as a preacher, I'm like, hey, come on, this is great. With, and I don't even have to talk about this. But as Spurgeon would say, unless we become spiritually bankrupt and recognize that we don't have one penny in our spiritual account, listen, this is love. It's love to tell people. How much love would it be for an oncologist to be afraid to tell a patient he or she has cancer? 
And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to give you a concession gift. Thanks for coming in. We just want to give you a gift. The gift of Christ, the grace of Christ is amazing. As, as Dan spoke about last week, it's an identity. We're forgiven. We're a child of God. We're part of the body of Christ. We are empowered. We're indwelled by the Spirit of God. These, this is the gift of Christ. But we must come through the portal of the cross and be honest with ourselves and say, God, have mercy on me, an imperfect, broken sinner. God, I will. And then that gift of grace will be phenomenally different. If someone gives you a gift and, you know, like re-gifting, is everybody, anybody ever re-gifted? Come on. There it is. I got one. Yes. Awesome. Re-gifting didn't cost you anything, right? And we can't give a gift to someone, a gift of grace, without understanding the high cost of mercy. That's the power. Watch this. David's sin. It's like, you know, when we have men and women fall, like we have recently. When you have people that are men and women of God. And how heartbreaking it is. For those of us that follow my 40 years of uh, being a Christian, almost 40 years, it's probably happened 10 times in my little 40 year deal. Heartbreaking. This was David. David was a man after God's own heart. He was the king that God was so proud of. And yet he murdered a man in order to have adultery with his wife. Think about that headline. And David was hiding it until he had someone that had enough courage with humility. It's a value we have here at our church. Courage with humility and love and loved him enough to say, David, your life is always going to be in a shadow until you come to God and you deal and allow God to forgive you and face up to it. And when you face up to it, you will find the deep mercy of God. And then you can move forward. We're not doing anyone any favors by overstepping the mercy of God. That makes sense. The first thing out of David's mouth was this in Psalm 51. When he began to confess to God, have mercy on me, O God. Don't give me what I deserve. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know, God, I know my transgressions. I'm not going to hide them anymore. I'm not going to skim over them anymore. I'm not going to reason anymore. I'm not going to equalize them amongst the human race anymore like everybody else does it. I know what they are and my sin is always before me. God, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. This is the prayer that brings us to the cross of Christ. An honest prayer. And you will find an unexpected level of mercy. God is just calling us to this place. Listen. If you are searching for God. God loves you so incredibly much. He has exercised his justice against your sin and the cross of his son. 
That's how much he loved you. His perfect justice was satisfied. And if you'll just come to him and and say, just be honest with what God already knows. You may have been sitting in a church like I was for 18 years. Sitting in a church for 18 years. And never came to this intersection where I said, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Please be merciful to me. And when you find that spiritual bankruptcy, then God says, you are forgiven through Christ. And now we're ready for grace. Watch this. We close with this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Look at the order. Let us approach God, the throne of grace, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and then find grace to help us in our time of need. Mercy first. Grace follows. Maybe you're a believer today. You're a follower of Christ. Let me say this to you. Today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the reason that we celebrate the Lord's Supper is that Christ says to us, as he said to his, to, to his disciples around that table, don't forget this. And don't forget this. And this I give to you. Because the more we remember the depth of God's mercy, are you ready? Don't miss it. The more we recognize that God has been merciful, the more we'll be merciful to other people. That's a big deal. People that will tend to be less merciful toward other people are looking at the mercy of God through a straw, through small lenses. But the more we recognize, like, wow, <laughs> wow. So when other people offend us, that just flows right through us. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.